really there aren't any major companies that offer a pure play exposure on nickel. You really have to go and look at more of the intermediate level companies. Those companies have performed quite quite well year to date. In 2019, they are producing nickel, and so any increase in the nickel prices is certainly affecting their bottom line on a real-time basis. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has an excellent shareholder base with Ross Beattie owning 20%, Insiders 5%, and Resource Capital Funds 8%. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker O-S-I-L-F and in Toronto under the ticker O-S-I. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. Greetings and welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm Bill Powers. If you'd like to engage the show, you can always reach me at bill at miningstockeducation.com. Well, there appears to be an increased interest in gold and the gold markets as gold has risen about 20% over the last three months. But as I was looking over various commodity charts, I noticed that there was a metal that uh, by a twofold outperformed gold and that was nickel. Uh, nickel is up about 40% in the last three months. It rose from under 550 a pound US now to about 740 a pound or so. So that's about a 40% rise where gold only rose 20%. Uh, so I reached out to Martin Turen. He is the president, CEO, and director of FPX Nickel. If you go back in this podcast last October, I interviewed Martin along with Brian Lenny of Junior Stock Review, and we talked about the nickel market in that podcast. You can flip back and listen to that if you want uh, more of Martin's insights. But I asked him to come on today to uh, explain to us what's going on so, Martin, welcome back to the show, and uh, please explain to us, why is nickel up about 40% in the last three months? Yeah, Bill, thanks for having me. Um, so, I guess since we last spoke, uh, you know, uh, through the latter part of last year and, and really through the first three, four months of this year, nickel remained tied to its base metal peers, copper and zinc, in price performance. It was slightly outperforming copper and zinc, but was generally in line with those with those metals. Really, since the beginning of July, we've seen this huge increase in the nickel price, as you mentioned. Uh, the main driver of that has been uh, increased speculation in the market that Indonesia, which is one of the, which is actually the largest producer uh, by country of nickel mine supply, may be ready to impose an export ban, uh, which would restrict the ability of miners there to export ore, uh, nickel ore. Uh, out of country to downstream processors, typically in China. And so if the Indonesians were to follow through on that export ban, uh, then the nickel market would be uh, structure, would be uh, short of nickel units. And the structural deficit that we've seen in the nickel market over the last few years would be uh, heavily exacerbated, which would uh, potentially have uh, positive implications for the nickel price. Is, what is the political pressure here, or what's going on politically? Is the U.S. potentially applying pressure on Indonesia to hurt China amidst the trade war, or what's your analysis of the political situation and how it impacts this? Yeah, I don't think that there's any influence uh, from the trade war on what Indonesia is doing. Um, Indonesia has had a long current, a very strong current, 
domestically of resource nationalism and a push to uh, within the country for to maximize the value of resources that are that are that are housed within the country. And with respect to mining, that would mean, you know, trying to encourage uh uh, investors and companies to build smelters and other processing capacity within the country. And so several years ago in 2014, the Indonesians imposed an export ban on uh, the export of nickel ore, of unprocessed nickel ore, specifically to induce companies and investors to invest the capital to build those smelters within Indonesia. Uh, that export ban was uh, relatively successful in encouraging uh, external investors, uh, primarily Chinese investors uh, and companies, to start to build smelter capacity in Indonesia. And I think the Indonesian government considers the reimposition of that export ban um, as as another uh, lever that it has at its disposal to further encourage capital investment within within the country's borders. So if we could step back and just look at the nickel market from a 30,000-foot view, uh, there's very uh, many savvy listeners that are listening to us right now in this podcast, but there's also people that are very unfamiliar with the nickel market. Nickel's been bouncing between 5 and $6 U.S. for most of this year before it shot up to about 740 as I mentioned at the introduction. But could you take us back about 15 years, Martin, and help us to understand where the price of nickel is now relative to where it's been in the last 15 years? Sure. So if you go back to sort of the the middle part of the last decade, you had the Chinese super cycle really kicking into gear. And uh, among the major metals, uh, nickel probably had the most uh, dramatic increase to the upside. Uh, it in 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 right in in the middle of that Chinese super cycle, um, the nickel price went up to about twenty four dollars a pound. Um, you know, as as miners do what they do when as as the commodity price goes up, particularly when it goes up that dramatically, it tends to induce a lot of new production to come online, and that's what we saw in the period between 2010 and 2012, and that led to the nickel market being in huge oversupply for about five years between 2010 and 2015, and that uh, uh, macroeconomic theory. Uh, would dictate that the nickel price would go down in those circumstances, and that's indeed what happened. So the nickel price went from a high of $24 a pound to a low of about $350 uh, in late 2015 and early 2016. Since the beginning of 2016, uh, the dynamic has shifted uh, 180 degrees. The nickel market has been in structural deficit since the beginning of 2016. And so demand is exceeding supply uh, by a considerable margin since that point uh, every year. And we continue to see that here in 2019. And so the, there was, in that prior period between 2010 and 2015, a large buildup of inventories on the LME and other warehouses. And those inventories have been steadily being drawn down here since the beginning of 2016 as the market has been in deficit. And so at some point in the not-too-distant future, the nickel market will become, uh, I think, in most people's view, truly tight. 
and that's where we could see potential for further uh, uh, escalation in the nickel price. Uh, some have said the nickel market is a little harder to analyze than, let's say, the gold market because more than half of the inventory is not reported on the exchanges. Uh, do you agree with that? Yes, I think I think that's absolutely the case. There's uh, and it's true for copper and zinc as well um, as. As these markets move, of course, you have reported inventories. Those would be typically the, the LME and the Shanghai reported uh, figures. But then there will always be nickel units that are being stored in private warehouses that are not reported. And those volumes can be considerable. And so I think it's safe to say that, you know, um, depending on inventory volumes that are reported for these major base metals, oftentimes there can be just as much, if not more, uh, of these base metals stored in private warehouses. So it does lend uh, a certain opaque nature to the ability to to model and to come up with a with a with a thesis on these metals. With that bear market ending in 2015, Talk about what that did to the nickel equities. Yeah, so the nickel equities, um, you know, were really uh, severely beaten up. Um, um, uh, you know, really through the down period of the nickel price. Um, and what you saw is actually a lot of companies that that were formerly nickel companies rebranded and became other other focused on other metals or in other sectors. Uh, and so there's been a dramatic decline, quite simply, just in the number of nickel equities out there, particularly in the junior space. Um, since the nickel price has started to go up, particularly this year, we've seen um, a healthy response in the price of the nickel focused uh, intermediary companies. Um, um, uh, really, there aren't any major companies that offer a pure play exposure on nickel. You really have to go and look at more of the intermediate level companies. Those companies have performed quite quite well year to date in 2019. They are producing nickel, and so any increase in the nickel prices is, is certainly affecting their bottom line um, on a real time basis. Uh, but I would say that the condition or the circumstances for junior companies or pre-production companies is 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 somewhat different. I guess in that way, it's somewhat similar to what we're seeing in, in the gold market right now, where the gold price is doing well. Uh, the gold majors are certainly uh, gaining quite nicely, but uh, that performance hasn't really tricked down trickled down into the juniors yet. And I think it's 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 very much the same case for uh, for the nickel market. When uh, companies, mining companies, make the case for their investment thesis, it's inextricably tied to the underlying commodity and the future demand for that commodity. Can you make the case for a rising nickel price apart from the electrical vehicle revolution? Because that often comes through in many nickel companies' presentation, the EV demand that's expected. You know, the the dramatic rise from where we're at today. Yeah, the, the EV demand component for nickel, it's a great part of the narrative, and, and certainly we, we see that as well. A lot of nickel companies really pushing that aspect of the story, and, and it is a narrative that I think um, you know carries a lot of sway with uh, particularly sort of generalist investors. Uh, really, the workhorse for nickel demand, though, is, is remains stainless steel. Stainless represents about 70% of nickel consumption, whereas the batteries today are only about 3 to 4%. Now, the batteries will certainly uh, take up more nickel demand over time. Um, I guess the, the, the simple point I would make is that even if there were no electric vehicle battery demand, uh, the nickel market would, would likely still be in deficit. 
and there would still be a bull, bull case for the nickel price based simply on continued strong uh, and robust demand for stainless steel combined with a real constraint in supply growth for nickel, uh, particularly in light of uh, several years of, of very low nickel prices. So the EV battery demand is, um, is, is going to be substantial. Uh, but in terms of the, the bull thesis, I think it's, uh, it's the cherry on top. Your company, FPX Nickel, is one of the more leveraged plays to nickel. I'm looking here on your presentation where it shows your share price performance uh, relative to the price of nickel. Your um, key project is the Baptiste deposit on your Dakar Nickel District. You released some information on that not, not too long ago, about 10 days ago. Please provide an overview of what's going on at this project and what's the significance of your most recent press release. Sure. So Baptiste is a very large-scale deposit. Um, uh, there's there's uh, over 5 billion pounds of nickel in the indicated ca- category um, and a few hundred million more pounds of nickel in the inferred category. So it's a very large deposit. It sits in the middle of central BC, very close to a, a railway, uh, very close to some other large mining operations. Uh, the project sits with a an established resource and PEA, and that PEA was done in 2013 uh, in collaboration with a former joint venture partner of ours. We hold the project now on a 100% basis, and our work uh, over the last couple of years has been focused on optimization of every aspect of the project, from uh, expanding the resource, particularly high, higher-grade area of the resource uh, via the drill bit, uh, market uh, analysis to understand where and for what price we'll sell our nickel product, and most recently, a real focus on optimization of, of metallurgy. Um, in short, we've achieved uh, much higher rates of recovery of the nickel uh, compared to what was assumed in the 2013 PEA, uh, about four to five percent higher recoveries, uh, which is uh, which is very significant. Um, towards the production of a significantly higher grade nickel product. So the nickel concentrate we're producing now consistently grades around 65% nickel versus uh, 13% uh, in the previous study. And uh, that that we believe is going to translate into a much higher value product uh, given, given the higher purity of nickel in, in that product and also lead to a dramatic reduction in the, uh, in the uh, estimated transport cost to take that product to market. Um, the next steps for us are sort of twofold. One is, is we are looking at the leachability of this nickel concentrate to see if we have a product that is potentially a feedstock um, into ultimately the production of nickel sulfate, which is the chemical that goes into electric vehicle batteries. It would be nice to demonstrate, I think, that on a resource this large, uh, that the project has the ability and flexibility from a strategic standpoint to produce nickel either for stainless or for the for the growing EV market. Uh, the other piece of, of work is with respect to um, uh, we're now producing an iron ore byproduct. And so we want to understand uh, what the potential market for that byproduct would be and fold that into the economics at some point, which has, has never not yet been contemplated for the project and certainly was not included in the previous uh, economic study. So you're doing the metallurgical work in these studies, uh, moving towards your pre-feasibility study? That would be the next logical step? The next logical step is likely to be an updated PEA, um, simply to show the market that this is a project this is that is very robust and, and, and frankly far more robust 
than the 2013 PEA suggested. 2013 PEA uh, suggested this project needs a nickel price in excess of $9 a pound to be you know, feasible and, and hit the kind of minimum uh, hurdle rates that would be required for a project of this size. And we're quite confident that the a new PEA would show that the uh, uh, product project hits those hurdle rates at a much lower nickel price based on the work that we've already done to date. Do you have an NPV calculated at the current price of nickel? We do not. Um, um, you know, for our internal purposes, we keep kind of a, a study uh, kind of live, uh, but it's not something we're 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 able to put in into the public dom- domain uh, as of yet. Okay, and Martin, moving forward, uh, what does the treasury look like for the company? Yeah, so our cash and working capital uh, is in the area of just under a million dollars Canadian. Um, we will probably end 2019 with around seven hundred thousand dollars in the bank or so. We have maintained a very, very modest burn rate um, over the last couple of years. Um, have done desktop work and metallurgical work that's added a lot of value for for low cost. Um, and so, based on our current cash position, we estimate that we've got enough uh, 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 funds to last us through likely to uh, the fourth quarter of 2020. All right. Well, you've been listening to Martin Turan, the CEO and president and director of FPX Nickel Corp. You can find more information about Martin's company at fpxnickel.com. Company trades on the TSXV under the ticker FPX. Martin, I appreciate your insights. Thanks for taking the time and coming on the show. Thanks, Bill. Much appreciated. Thank you for listening to this Mining Stock Education Podcast. Please subscribe and share with like-minded investors. Visit us on the web at miningstockeducation.com for more resources on precious metals and natural resource investing. At our website, you can also sign up for our free newsletter for interview transcripts, stock picks, and more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.